Most of us feel like we have potential, but we don't know how to tap into it. Inside, we feel like we should be doing something different, but we don't know what that is. Well, now it's time to awaken your energy and enlightenment. Find out who you really are and truly discover why you are more powerful than you think. By transforming the perspective of yourself, you will discover the power to recognize the incredible possibilities within you and in your life. Now, bringing you thought leaders from around the country and around the world, here's chiropractor and author, Dr. Fred DiDomenico. Hey, this is Dr. Fred DiDomenico with You Are More Powerful podcast, and we're launching this. It's based on my book, You Are More Powerful Than You Think, which introduces a six-step system called Healed to help find your divinity, honor God within yourself, clear of your past, discover, live, and fulfill your soul purpose, the whole reason you're here in this life. And the goal here really is, is to bring to you guys spiritual leaders that are changing the lives of millions of people around the world, and I'm so honored to have a great leader that's been changing the consciousness of the planet for the last almost few decades, who was such a, a powerful influence in my life that took me so far beyond the, the uh, limitations of religion into spirituality to help form my own consciousness, myself in connection with God. Thank you for being here, Neil Donald Walsh. Uh, it's truly a great pleasure to have you. Well, thank you, Fred. It's, it's lovely to be invited, and I appreciate the opportunity to share with you some of the messages that you and I uh, agree on and that we share both with our audiences. So thanks for the opportunity. Of course. So as we said before we got on here, you know, your name is such a houseword, household name in so many houses, I guess you could say metaphorically speaking, or in the minds of people around the world. Yet when I mention your name, there's still some people that aren't familiar or haven't and don't know your books. Although, I mean, you've written 29, I think 29 books, multiple New York Times bestsellers. You know, you have seminars and all these things. So what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, is have them know who you are, the man behind the mission and, and what your life was and how you find your sole purpose and now how that purpose is uh, literally changing the consciousness of humanity around the world. So how did this, how did this come about? Well, uh, Fred, let me begin by saying that I'm just a regular person and not extraordinary in any way other than the ways in which all of us are special and extraordinary. But, but not beyond that. Uh, and how it all started uh, was uh, a number of years ago now, I guess 25 or 30 years ago, I had really reached a dead end in my life. My career, I had uh, really reached a, a real dead end. I was going nowhere. I thought I was out of work. Uh, and uh, my health was going rapidly downhill, and it was really exaggerated by I had a, an automobile accident, and I wound up breaking my neck in the automobile accident, which is not an easy thing to recover from. Uh, and I was really very lucky because the doctors said, that, frankly, that uh, you know, eight out of 10 people who suffer a broken neck, like I did, don't survive. And those who do survive are almost always a, a handicapped or crippled in some way, paralyzed in some way because of that very sensitive area. So it's almost always some kind of spinal you know, involvement. But I managed to escape, although I, did have a, I didn't have a hairline fracture. I actually had a three-quarter inch avulsion fracture of the seventh cervical vertebrae posteriorly. In other words, the fracture was big enough to put a pencil through. 
But somehow or another, I, I managed to escape you know, long-term serious consequences. But it did put me out of work, and I was in rehab for two years. So I couldn't do very much for those two years, and I was soon ran out of money, ran out of government benefits, and I wound up with no place to stay. I, I wound up having to live on the sidewalk as a street person. I found a little homeless park, a place where a bunch of other homeless people were camping out, and I pitched a tent over there. I, I managed to get a tent from my former wife, who took some pity on me, and she said, oh, here, take the tent. So I wound up living in the homeless park for a year, not for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but for an entire year. And the only income I had was what I could gather from people on the street when I put my hand out and asked if they might share a few dollars or a few coins with me. So I had uh, that experience both uh, occupationally having lost my job and then health-wise having lost my health in that sense. And then my relationship as well with my significant other at the time uh, fell through also. So, I mean, everything that could go wrong in a person's life went wrong in my life at the same time. I call it, I like to joke about it and say I had the triple whammy. You know, sometimes people have relationship problems, but, but the job is going okay. Or they have problems at work, but the relationship is going okay. Or their health, but I had all three, all three at the same time. So, you know what, Fred, I, I, I really crumbled. I went to the floor literally as an old Catholic, got down on my hands and knees and said, okay, God, what do you want from me? What, what, what have I done to deserve a life of such multiple and ongoing trouble? And what is it that I don't understand? Clearly, there's something that I don't understand here, the understanding of which would change everything. So, I, and I found a yellow legal pad as it happened on the coffee table in front of me. I, at that point, I'd gotten off the street Finally, after a year, I got a little weekend part-time job, just enough to afford a little apartment in, in the back of somebody's uh, 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 um, property. They had a little grandma apartment, what you might call an in-law apartment. And I, I managed to rent it for a little bit of money. And so there I was, and I, I wrote on that yellow legal pad, what does it take to make life work? And what have I done to deserve a life of such continuing struggle? And, and Fred, that's when I... I first heard uh, that voice, uh, and, the, and the voice said to us, kind of a voiceless voice, but it sounded to me like a real person in the room. Uh, I heard the voice saying to me, Neil, do you really want answers to all of these questions, or are you just venting? You know, and I thought, what an ironic question, and I, I remember thinking to myself, you know, I am venting, but if you've got an answer, I'd like to know what the heck it is. And with that, I was given the answer to those questions, and all the questions I could imagine. I began writing down the answers that I was receiving uh, on that yellow legal pad, uh, and I uh, continued asking questions because the answers that I was being given would bring up other questions. Yeah, well, what about this? Well, what about that? How can that be true? Wait a minute, wait a minute. So as I began asking questions, I got other answers and then more questions and more answers. Before I knew it, Fred, I was involved in an on-paper conversation with God, what I call the conversation with God, because I couldn't imagine where else this could be coming from. So I continued this conversation for many, many pages and for many, many days. And then at one point in the dialogue, I'm sorry for, for such a long answer. But oh, you no, it's awesome. Yeah. I, you know, eight million things are running through my mind, but continue. Well, I'm going to wrap it up here by just giving you a, a, uh, an understanding of how the book came about, because uh, in the dialogue, it said, you will one day uh, write a book, make this dialogue a book. 
And I thought, no way in the world, I can't send this handwritten manuscript, you know, handwritten notes to a publisher who's going to say, stop the presses. This guy's talking to God. It's not going to happen. You know, <laughs> but I knew better than that. I was a man of the world. I understood people don't publish books like that. But I managed to find a stenographer who happened to also be out of work. And so I asked her if she could, you know, maybe uh, uh, type in my handwritten dialogue. I didn't even have a computer in those days. And uh, so she did. And, and um, she, you know, I gave her a little, a, a little bit of money or whatever I could scrape together. And she was grateful for it. And she sent, we, we took the, the file that she created and sent it to a couple of publishers small to medium-sized publishers. I knew that, you know, Random House was not about to publish this book. Yeah. I, found some, I found some small publishers who put out spiritual material. And to make a long story very short, they wound up ultimately publishing the book. And as, as it would happen, it, it wound up making the New York Times bestseller list in about five weeks. And it stayed on that list for a very, very long time, something like two or two and a half years. I lost track of it, but many, many, many weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. And it wound up selling over a million copies. Wow. It wound up being translated into 37 languages. Uh, and that's, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, there you go. Well, you know, there's so much in there, you know, and, and obviously we share beliefs because we're, we're a, a spirit on this journey in, in humanity. And, you know, we have this purpose that we come in with, you know, it's a calling and it's a purpose. And, you know, people look at the tragedies, like you look at that tragedy, that's how low you had to go to have that conversation, right? Yes, but I, I want to make a point if I can, Fred. I don't think it's, because I'm asked this question a lot. I don't think it's necessary for us to have to go that low, for us to have that kind of a tragedy in one's life. So the message that I want to bring is, hey, you know what? You can avoid step one and go right to step two. You don't have you don't have to wait until the roof is caving in in order to have uh, your own direct communication with the divine. Yeah, and that's the purpose of your book, right? In a sense, and that's what that's what sponsor mine is. You don't have to go through the pain. So here's a way that you can avoid it. So on your personal journey for you to get there, you know who knows what the reason was, but at the point where we surrender. You know, and the thing is, I find, uh, you know, the more the more powerful, the more willful that we are, sometimes we have to go through more pain until we just surrender and give it up unless we have that spiritual awareness and consciousness to begin with. And then you realize surrendering is your power. Yeah, you, you, you've nailed it. I was a very willful person. And by the way, I continue to be in many areas of my life. It's right. part, of, part of my life that I'm trying to... Uh, at least reduce the impact of trying to not be quite as willful because I, I get in my own way, you know, more often than I would like. But having said that, I did finally at, at, at the breaking point have the uh, willingness to say, okay, God, you know, what, what is it that I don't understand? And, and, I, and I managed to keep a, a running record, running notes of what I was told. And when the uh, uh, first uh, bunch of those notes turned into what we call book one and sold so many copies, meanwhile, I was continuing my process. By the way, I didn't stop the process. So that was ongoing. And then the folks in New York said, hey, do you have any sisters like that at home? You know, do you have any other, other, other material like that? I said, well, you know, as a matter of fact, I continued the process. So then I, I handed over what became book two and ultimately what became book three. 
and the process has really never stopped. At this point, uh, there are 37 books, uh, nine of which are dialogue books, and the rest of which are uh, ancillary books that explain and move more deeply into the information that I received uh, in that in that dialogue. And by the way, I want to make this point: I don't I don't claim to be talking directly to God in the sense that. Uh, I'm channeling or somehow bringing through. I, I think what's happening here is I'm having the same experience that all of us have. See, I happen to believe that what I call God or the divine energy exists in every single human being on the earth. It's deeply embedded within us that we are really one with that energy and we arise from that energy. So what I'm talking about is the process by which we connect with or get in touch with the, the place of wisdom and clarity that resides within all of us. And then we call that forth and call it forward. And suddenly we really realize that we are having our own conversation with God Every minute of every day, we're simply calling it something else. Right. Well, and that's the beauty of it. You know, and you began the whole message this way is we're all the same, right? We all, we're all here for a purpose, but we all have that innate connection. And I guess it's when you're willing to listen, right? Some of us are doing so much talking <laughs> that we don't hear the whispers, well, that's what happened to me. You know, I was 50 years old. This didn't happen when I was 35 or 45 or 25. I was 50 years old. So I was right in the category you've just described, doing lots and lots of talking. In fact, speaking of doing lots of talking, I happen to have been making a living as a radio talk show host, nationally syndicated. So that's all I was doing was talking, <laughs> talking for a living. Uh, but ultimately, I wound up on the street, as I, as I explained in my story, uh, so then I had to stop talking, and, and I, I, I had no choice but to call out and to start listening, and it's the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. So one, I, I would love to know um, that shift in your consciousness and in your life when you finally said, okay, God, uh, you basically, I, you know, I'm willing to give you everything in a sense. I'm paraphrasing. Here I am. You know, and then you get this conversation and then it's really you surrendered yourself to to that will and purpose, so to speak. And what was that like going through that change shift in consciousness? Well, you, you know, know, you know Fred, get that knowledge. I, I want to share that. I don't, I don't want to disappoint you or disappoint your viewers. But it, 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 honestly, in my own experience, it didn't feel like surrender. It felt more like curiosity. Okay. I, yeah, which is a different energy for yeah. me. So I, I didn't experience myself as, okay, I'm going to surrender to the wisdom of the universe. Not at that point. These days, actually, I do experience that. But at the beginning, I just thought, what's going on here? Yeah. What in the world is happening? Where is this coming from? And because stuff was coming out of my pen that I had never dreamt of, never thought of in a million years. Just to give you one example of the statement, there's no such thing as the Ten Commandments. I could write a whole series of books just on that statement alone. Right. And, I, and, I, and I thought, where is that coming from? And, I, and uh, then it was explained to me well, you know, how that could be true, as, as were many other mysteries in life. There are no victims and no villains. There's no such thing as right and wrong. You know, forgiveness is the biggest obstacle to spiritual growth. All sorts of spiritually revolutionary ideas that I would never have created in my own mind. That's frankly when I realized that it was coming from some place within me, but not from my mind the center, as I said before, of wisdom and clarity that resides within all of us. So for me, it was curiosity more. I was just curious, where is this coming from? And then finally, where is this going? That's what kept me 
connected to the dialogue, connected to the process. Where is this going? Where am I being taken here? What am I being shown? And that's how the first three dialogue books emerged. Yeah, that's, you know, that's such a great um, difference because, uh, you know, that I think we all have that curiosity. And so to be able to pursue that in a passionate, purposeful way really will lead us to places and, and we've all experienced this to places we never expect to be. You know what I mean? Like they take us to places that we would not have ever have known how to get there on our own, meaning in our own mind on our own, you know, but following your heart. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I would, like you, I was born and raised a Catholic and, uh, and I was a very, really a very devout uh, a cat, young Catholic boy. I wound up being an altar boy and you know, the, the, the nuns in the school, I went, To a parochial cast to call and i don't uh, denigrate it i'm very glad that i did because it gave me a, a sense it gave me an experience that there's something larger going on here something more than meets the eye that there is this entity called or this essence called god uh and whether i agreed with all the dogma that the catholic church created around it i absolutely was imbued with the understanding that there's something more than us out there there's something going on that i need to know more about so even as a young catholic boy i was asking the priest you know in catechism class i was asking the priest questions he had never heard from it you know from a 10 or 11 or 12 or a 13 year old kid he kept on sending me out of the room and, and say well we'll talk about this later son because he didn't have any answers for me yeah and so, and, and so i realized that wow god is a conundrum god is a complexity god is a puzzle even to the priest so that really enlivened my curiosity about it. And as I grew older in my life, even as I began to step a little bit away from the dogmas of the Catholic Church, I never stepped away from my deep interest and my deep curiosity in this thing that we all call God. So I wasn't entirely surprised when I fell back on that background in the darkest uh, moment of my life. It seemed like the natural and obvious thing to do, even though I did it with anger. I was angry with God. You know, what, what does it take? What do you want from me? But yeah. still, I had a notion that there must be something out there larger than me. Tell me what it is. Give me the rule book. I'll play. Just give me the rule book. Yeah, that's awesome. So then, so you wrote these books, and obviously you've done so much more. What were the next steps in your journey? Well, two, there are two next steps. First, to actually embrace and believe what I was um, being shown and I want to say bringing through. I had, to, I had to resist mightily the temptation to reject it all as uh, the fruits of my own imagination. In fact, I even asked God at one point, how do I know that this is even coming from that place of wisdom within us that I call God? How do I know that this is coming from God? How do I know this is not just my imagination? And she said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Who says I wouldn't use your imagination? Where, where do you suppose that Mozart got his notes for the beautiful music that he wrote? Where did Michelangelo come up with the images that he put on the Sistine chapels? You're asking where creativity comes from. You're asking where genius comes from. You're asking where insight comes from. And people are imagining 
It's their imagination in many cases that creates symphonies and artistic uh, masterpieces that we all are, uh, you know, that we all consider breathtaking. So, you know, I thought, okay, then, then I'm going to imagine, I'm going to continue using my imagination and I'm going to imagine that at some level, a part of me has the answers to these complex questions. Then I let it flow. I just let it happen. And once I did that, once I let go of my doubt, that was the first step you asked, asked what, what were the first two steps? The first step was to let go of my doubt and to just step into my awareness that, you know what? This is really what's happening. And even if it's not, the question is not whether I'm actually having a conversation with God. The question is, after the first book got published, is this bringing benefit to anybody at all? Does, does, is anybody else receiving any good from this? And when the book began selling, you know, many, many copies and, and, and ultimately many more than a million copies, several million copies, as I mentioned, in 37 languages, I'm not bragging about it, I'm just telling you what happened. Yeah. When, that, when that became my experience, I realized, oh my goodness, something's going on here. And it wasn't meant just for me. It wasn't meant to just touch me. Clearly, this was meant to touch the world at large. Then the second step, to, to, to you asked about the first two steps. The second step for me, I haven't completed yet. I'm not sure I will complete in my lifetime. But the second step is to seek to live into, to become a living demonstration of the wisdom and the clarity uh, that was given to us in the Conversations with God dialogues. I haven't even come close to actually uh, demonstrating or being a walking um, demonstration of uh, the, the, the wisdom in those books. But at least now, for the first time in my life, I know where I'm trying to go. At least there's a path, what I call the essential path. At least there's a pathway, and I, I know where I'm trying to go. Uh, and that's better than it was for me until I was 50 years old, because for the first half century of my life, I had not only idea, I didn't even know where I was going, much less how to get there. Right. So like, like two-thirds of the human race or more, I was terribly confused on all of those ideas. I thought that the point of my life was to get the guy, get the girl, get the car, get the job, get the house, get the spouse, get the kids, get the better car, get the better job, get the better house, get the better spouse, get the better spouse, get the better spouse. You know, whatever it took for me to somehow find happiness in my life. And I wasn't surprised that at the age of 50, I had found happiness on none of those paths. Right. And, I'm, I'm, and I'm on the planet a half century. So uh, uh, if, at least now, I have a sense of where I'm going and even how to get there. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's uh, all those things are outside of us, right? Where we seek the kingdom first, then all things will be added. And, uh, you know, it's such a powerful uh, first step, removing doubt. Like if people can just get that, you know, like when we get that, just removing doubt, we tap into a power, as you know, that is really our divine power. We, you know, our whole, that, that alone shifts consciousness. You know, if you believe and you don't doubt in your heart, you can cast a mountain into the sea, right? That's where the power is. Remove the doubt and we step into our power. And then, you know, your second step obviously is for all of us. But the great thing is now because of the conversations, if you'd like to call it, you have a reference point. You know, now you can see the path, like what you said. You, you bet. And Fred, I now understand the point of it all, the purpose of it all. See, because if, if life wasn't about 
get the guy, get the girl, get the car, get the job, get the house, get the better car. If that's not what it was about, then what is it about? That, that became my next major inquiry. Okay, fair enough. It's not about that. Then what is it about? And that's when the dialogue with God became very interesting because uh, it was made clear to me that the agenda of life has to do with the agenda of the soul, not with the agenda of the body and the mind. I was told directly in conversations with God, Neil, you're not your body, you're not this, and you're not even your mind. You're this and this, your body and your mind, are simply tools that you have, but it's not who you are. You are not that. You are that which has a body that which has a mind, and you can call it what you want, I call it my soul or my spirit, you are the soul, and your soul has an agenda quite apart and separate from what you think you're supposed to be doing on the earth. And so when I, when I really was informed about that, I said, okay, then what is the agenda? <clears throat> Excuse me, and the agenda of the soul, as I understand it, is to recreate ourselves anew in every golden moment of now, in the next grandest version of the greatest vision ever we held about who we are, or to put it in one word, evolution. That the soul, the spirit of us, is on an eternal journey. I, and when I say eternal, I mean that literally. It, it, I always was, I am now, and I always will be. And my undertaking, if you will, my mission, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to evolve and to expand your experience and your expression of yourself so that you can really know in your experience, not just conceptually, but you can know experientially who you really are. Or to put it in simple language, my understanding is that God wishes to express itself and to know itself in all the billions and trillions of variations of that make up that which is in the universe. So God uses physical life, human beings, plants, flowers, trees, other planets, other beings elsewhere in the universe. God uses all of physical life as a means by which it expresses and experiences itself. And that's my understanding. So that becomes my agenda. And, and knowing that that's the agenda, I, want, I wind up creating a question, a very powerful question, Fred, that I want to share with you as a, as a really important tool that all of us can use as we move through our life. Because we're, of course, we can talk about spirituality all we want. We can talk about these interesting metaphysical formulas and these metaphysical ideas. But ultimately, we wind up still living in the real world. You know, we, so the idea is to, as the, as the masters of past have said, be in this world, but not of it. So how do we do that? How, how do I negotiate, make my way through the events and circumstances of each of my days without getting caught up in the drama that surrounds it? And so here's the magic formula that I have found. I have been given a question that I can ask whenever I feel myself getting caught up in the drama of the make-believe, the drama of what I call the illusion of life. And the question is, and by the way, let me just preface it. I ask this question of myself whenever something outside of me is occurring that feels like troubling to me or something I'm not really welcoming but I don't know how to step aside from it without getting caught up in my drama. Maybe I'm having a little bit of a tiff, a little bit of an argument with my wife. You know, 
but we've been together for a long time. And, you know, these things happen even between people who love each other. So here I am having a bad morning, or maybe she's having a bad morning. Usually it's her. It's never me. Of course not. I have that same problem sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah. So, so, so here, or maybe it might be something not quite as heavy as that. Maybe it might be just a decision I have to make. Like, I wonder what I'll watch on TV tonight. Or do I really want to accept that invitation to this to this uh, neighbor's cocktail party? You know, or whatever's going on in my life. I ask myself the same question. Here's the question. What does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? That's and when I, when I, and it is powerful. When I ask that question, maybe I'm in the middle of an exchange with my wife that isn't so pleasant. If I could stop myself for just a couple of seconds. This is, this is not about a 10-minute meditation. This can be done in literally three seconds, five seconds. Wait a minute, I say to myself, wait a minute. What does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? How does this connect? How does what's going on right now outside of me, in which I find myself dramatically involved, how does this connect with my soul's agenda? And if I don't see the connection, how can I create it? How can I actually produce that connection? Fred... That can turn a bad moment into a good moment, literally, in the snap of a finger. And I've used it and, and actually achieved that outcome. The challenge for me is to use that question more often. The challenge for me is to have the discipline to go to that place as often as I would like. But at least I'm there now more often than ever I was. Well, yeah, and you condition it into, and that's a choice. And, and um, you know, I, I read your book, which talk about, in a minute, The Essential Path. And, you know, just from other sources, including yours, you know, masters choose the same thing over and over and over and you use the words choose God. So in the moment when you don't feel loving and you want to experience love, you choose love, you choose God. And you're using that as a tool to really master yourself, to be conscious of the divinity within yourself, to move from your humanity, if you want to, you want to call it that, into your divinity, establish your higher reference point. I couldn't agree with you more. And the, the key to doing that, the way to, in my experience, in my observation of myself, the way to, uh, to actually get there, to actually, uh, actually implement such a tool, is to actually um, give, that is, be the source of what it is you want to experience. So if I want to experience a more loving moment, uh, the, the formula is for me to be the source of a more loving moment. If I want to experience more abundance in my life, the, 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 uh, uh, the, the tool is to pr cause someone else to experience more abundance in their life. If I want to experience more wisdom in my life, uh, the process is to uh, allow another person to experience more wisdom in their life by being the source of that to the degree that one can. So when I put myself in the place on the playing board of life as the source rather than one who's trying to get these things, but rather the one who's trying to give these things, that turns the whole thing around. It changes the access of my experience. And by giving to another what I'm hoping to experience in myself, I experience that I have it to give. That's the magic. Oh, I didn't know I had that. Let me give you just a simple example, a really easy example. All of us have had the experience of being so busy, but with so much to do and so much being asked of us that we don't have a minute to spare. Then somebody who's important to us a family member or a very close friend asks us if we could do something for them. And our first reaction is, you don't understand. I really don't have a minute to spare. I am busier than I've been in a long time. I can't possibly do that. But 
our a higher calling says, you know what, this person is very meaningful to me. I'm going to find a way. So we give to them what we wish we had more of, which is time. Right. We give them our time. And, and by doing that, two miracles occur. First of all, they receive the help that they came to us for. Secondly, we experience, you know what? I had extra time after all. Isn't that fast? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, and actually uh, in the healed system, this, the first D is exercise, loving yourself and others. And that's why it's exercising. You know, we, we talk about this and here's where we're so aligned that, you know, your brain doesn't know the difference between what's outside of you and what's inside of you. And, you know, and we're, we are to have the thoughts of God. So if, if we are love, then as we give love, we experience it and it's self, it becomes self-replenishing. It's not like energy is leaving us. We're actually giving and self-replenishing the love inside us. And we're wiring ourselves on a human level for compassion. In a sense, we're wiring ourselves with our loving being, which is what our, our true nature is. And there's a powerful reason why that is true. You've, you've articulated that brilliantly, Fred. That's exactly right, in my opinion. In my observation, you've got it nailed again. Uh, and a wonderful expression. Thank you for that. But uh, let me give our audience the metaphysical reason why that's true. Of course, what we're giving out is coming back to us. Of course, we are rewiring ourselves to receive it because, in fact, in reality, there is no one else. There's only one of us. Exactly. There is all things are one thing. There is only one thing. And all things are part of the one thing there is. Given that that is metaphysically true, obviously, what I do for another, I do for myself. And Conversely, what I fail to do for another, I fail to do for myself, which is the reason that the world is in the condition that it's in today, because most of the world's people do not have an awareness of that fundamental principle. Well, when you talk in your new book, you talk in The Essential Path, you talk about the problem that we're really experiencing, humanity's experience around the world. You know, exactly what we are talking about, that we are all one. So. So in your new book, you really uh, address that, the, the world problem in humanity and consciousness. Would you like to speak about that? In the well, book? I think the biggest problem in the world today, Fred, is that most people don't know what the biggest problem in the world today is. We see the outcome of the problem. Right. We see the fallout. We see the effect of the problem. We can put the effect in one word, alienation. We are more alienated from each other these days than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Suddenly we find ourselves in an us-against-them world where they're the problem, they're the fault. It's those, it's those unwanted immigrants. It, it, it's, those, it's those crazy conservatives. It's those wild-eyed liberals. It's those angry women. It's those students who don't know what they're talking about. It's those other people who are creating the problem. If, if we could just get rid of that problem you know, by, by, by solving it over there, we would, we would not have these problems. I've never seen this kind of alienation before. <clears throat> excuse me, before. And that, that arises from, that, that outcome, that effect, arises from the actual true problem, which most people don't know what it is. The problem in one word is separation. We really think that we are, we actually believe that we are separate from each other, separate from, even in some ways, separate from ourselves, that is separate from the deepest part of ourselves, and separate from God. Because we believe so firmly in the idea of separation, we think that what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, you're causing problems with, you know, because you have a different agenda than I do, and it would all go away if we made a huge decision, what I call in the book, 
the essential path, the pathway to a deeper awareness of our true identity. And what I say in the book is that the question of who we are is broken down into two levels. Number one, are we basically physical entities, simply physical beings, no more and no less than that, no different from a dolphin or a whale or a bird in the sky or a fish in the sea, more complex, perhaps, more sophisticated, but in the end, a mammal, basically a life form. Is that all we are? Uh, or is it possible? Is it just possible that we are spiritual entities having a physical experience, that we are more than just physical expressions or chemical creatures, if you will, but that we are actually spiritual creatures inhabiting a body and having a mind. If that's true, it changes the whole context of our day-to-day -day experience. So that's the first question that the book invites us to ask ourselves. Who, you know, it's the same question, by the way, that my father used to ask me when I was 12 years old. Who do you think you are anyway? <laughs> Although he didn't experience it as a metaphysical question. Right. It is the most powerful question we could ask ourselves. Who do you think you are anyway? Now, if I think that I'm more than just my body and my mind, if I think, you know, really, I actually am a spiritual entity with a body and with a mind, now I then must ask a second question. Am I a singular spiritual entity, one among billions? Currently, we, we count around 7.5 billion of us uh, on this planet alone. Forget about the rest of the cosmos, just on the Earth. Am I a singular spiritual entity, or is it possible, just possible, that I might be a spiritual entity that is connected to and one with all the only entity there is, is it possible that I am an individualization of the single essence that there is in the universe that I call in my vocabulary, God? Or to put it another way, could I be as a wave is to the ocean? You know, I like to use that analogy to help people understand what I'm trying to say. Supposing that we were a wave on the ocean of God, the wave wouldn't say that, the, that he is God. Clearly, the ocean is bigger than the wave, more powerful than all the rest. But on the other hand, the wave is in no way separate from the ocean. The wave arises from the ocean, expresses its own magnificence and its own glory as the wave of the ocean, never separates itself from the ocean. And then when its individual expression is complete, the wave recedes back into the ocean. What a marvelous metaphor that I was given, by the way, by God. God said, think of it in this way and your mind will be able to hold what I'm trying to tell you. So I see myself as a wave on the ocean of God. And when people ask me how they can experience them themselves at the highest level spiritually, I say to them, make waves. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, that is a great metaphor. That, that definitely creates a whole shift in awareness, no question. So you have this, you have this book coming out uh, and uh, your assistant was gracious enough to send it to me. There's such tremendous principles in there along with that one that can really help people understand that the universal law of unity, you know, and how, when you look at people, you know, uh, you know, I talk about also in my book competition and comparison when in reality, when you see yourself as a spiritual being first and you see the innate divinity in other people, hey, you don't have to, they may not be on the same soul path, 
you know, they may dress differently, look differently, have different language. But when you can see that sparkle of divinity in other people and you realize you're connected, the love that you experience within yourself and how you radiate that out and how you connect with your own divinity can also shift how you express your whole soul purpose. I agree with you completely, Fred. And you know what's interesting is that human beings have the ability to do that quite spontaneously and immediately. Let me give you an example. All we have to do is find ourselves in a group of people that are in trouble. A hurricane, a tornado, an earthquake, a war, you know, whatever it might be. When, when we uh, find ourselves in a group of people who are in trouble, we don't care what the color of their skin is. We don't care whether they're gay or straight. We don't care whether they're men or women. We don't care whether they're Democrats or Republican. We don't care anything about them except at the, at the soul level we understand, ah, we're all one here. We're all rowing the same boat. And we suddenly pitch in and we help each other irrespective of our different points of view and our different ways of expressing humanity. All those differences fall away immediately. It's what I call the burning building moment. One of the illustrations I like to use with my audiences is a guy is walking down the street and he looks to the left and he, and he sees a, a building on fire and he goes oh my gosh look at, oh my gosh there's a fire over there then he hears a baby crying from the second story window and a, a mother holds the baby out the window and she, and she cries out save us save us or at least help me save my baby now what do we do do we stand there and go, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I, you, know, you know, I mean, the survival, you know, survival is the basic instinct here. I have to obey the basic instinct. I think I, of course we don't. Right. We run into the building immediately. Right. Without thinking. We don't even think about it. Because the first impulse is to ex not to express survival, not to seek survival. The question is not whether we're going to continue living. The question is how are we going to continue living? The question is not whether our life is going to live for just 20 more minutes but or 20 more years, but the question is, what will those 20 minutes be like? And, and, and it's an automatic response. We just simply run into the building and we do what we can to save the baby and the mother. And if we're lucky, we save them both. And if we're really lucky, we save ourselves. Then people... You know, the media is there and the, and the, and the cameras are there and the, and the reporters are there. And they say, you're a hero, you're a hero. And the average person says, by the way, it's the same everywhere. We've all read these stories in the paper. The, the answer is the same everywhere. The guy says or the lady says, I'm not a hero. I did what anybody would do. Right. Which is the greatest expression of, you know, who we really are. Right. We follow the impulse toward divinity, the impulse to express divinity through humanity, as you said a minute ago. So when we now the question is then, if we can act that way when people are in trouble, why can't we call upon that part of ourselves when we're not in trouble? Well, you know what? Guess what, guys? We're in trouble. Yeah. The human race is in trouble right now. I want to share with you some statistics that will help me il illustrate that. As we are talking to each other in this moment, 1.7 billion people do not have one drop of clean water and probably never will for the rest of their lives. As we are talking to each other in this moment, 1.5 billion people do not even have electricity. Still, in this portion of the 21st century, we do not have electricity for 1.5 billion people. It gets worse than that, Fred. 
2.5 billion people, that's almost one quarter of the human race, do not have indoor plumbing. They're relieving themselves outside. Now you might say, people might say, oh, Neil, you're making more of this. I mean, then there has to be, it's, it's, it, we're not happy about it, but in the end, it's just an inconvenience. No, it's more than an inconvenience. These conditions create health circumstances from which 100,000 people a year die from dysentery and other other health complications that arise out of these conditions. I'll give you an even more startling statistic that'll put the whole thing into context. Fred, you may not be aware, but 653 children die on this planet of starvation every hour. Yeah, I didn't yeah. say every week. I didn't say every day. I said every, uh, every hour. 653 children on this planet die while we throw away more food in the restaurants of Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York than would be needed to feed an entire third world village for a week. How can a species call itself civilized when we act in such uncivilized ways and we say, gosh, Neil, you, you are bringing up some real problems, but we just don't know how to solve them. We, we, you know, we, we don't know what to do. We're incapable of solving these problems. Well, we're not incapable of solving these problems. All we have to do is realize, you know what? We really are in trouble here. We have a climate disruption problem. We have political problems. We have economic problems. We have social problems all over the world. And they're getting more and more serious, not by the day, but by the hour. So until we see ourselves as a species in trouble, we are not going to release that energy within us that allows all differences to fall by the wayside and that says, you know what, I'm here for you. I'll do what I can. I'm going to run into that burning building. So my message to everybody on this planet is make every moment a burning building moment. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. We're not in trouble. Crisis. That's the burning the burning moment is that immediate crisis. So seeing that burning building moment, you know, triggers action. So I know in your book, you talk about the mindset of a solution. Would you like to go over that? Is that the unity? Is it, what, what do you see? Well, you I, I, I think I'm not quite sure what uh, part of the book you're driving at, but, but my mind says that the, uh, just what you said, the mindset is uh, one of oneness or unity, that, that we begin to see that, that uh, there's nothing over there that's not part of what I am over here. That's the second magic question, by the way, that I like to ask myself. What am I seeing over there that's part of me over here? By the way, not, not just negative things, even positive things. Like when I look at the night sky and I'm in awe of the beauty and the wonder of the night sky, or when I you know, am standing by a rushing river and I'm in, I'm in awe of its beauty and its majesty and its power. And if I can ask myself, wait a minute, what am I seeing over there that I can experience over here if I can embrace the notion that there's no separation between these two things? It only looks like there, there, there is. So for me, the mindset is, as you uh, uh, declared it to be, the mindset that there is really only one thing. All things are one thing. There's only one thing and all things are part 
of the one thing there is. And then the second aspect of that mindset for me, Fred, is an inner determination, a deep commitment to express and to experience that, not just to acknowledge it, not just to hold it as a concept in my head, but in fact to put it into place as a functioning, outpicturing expression uh, in the physical world in which I have placed myself. That's, by the way, I think why I'm here. I think that why I came to this physical place is to provide myself with an opportunity in the realm of the relative, where things are big and small, fast and slow, up and down, left and right, here and there, where, where we have these aspects of ultimate reality. And I can step into that physical reality and express my oneness by the way I treat other people. And you know what? Even by the way I treat other stuff, a tree, a plant. People make jokes about tree huggers. But truthfully, in the end, my wife is a wonderful example of this. She, she can bring a dying plant back to life in, in three days. I've seen her do it. Actually, you know, by, by the energy that she sends that plant, the way she treats it, what she does with it, I see her talking to the plant and, 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 and giving it warm touches. And you think that makes no difference? I promise you that it does. I know this sounds really way out, sounds airy-fairy, but when we understand that everything is energy, expressing and exchanging energy with every other aspect of life, suddenly it doesn't sound crazy at all. And that's what makes, you know, I know, I know a man, by the way, uh, who does the same thing as a huge garden and he he plants vegetables out there and food and all sorts of things he has this huge garden and he won't even pick a strawberry if he doesn't ask first that plant is this your time to to uh, offer this to us to exchange your energy in this way and if he doesn't feel it intuitively that this is the time to harvest that food he won't harvest it he lets it grow another day or two, but, 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 and then he feels into it. And if it feels like, yes, this is the time, then he will accept that offering from that other life form. And, and what he does in that garden is magnificent. It's unbelievable. And everybody around him is wondering, how do you get such a harvest out of your garden? I can't get that out of my garden. He, you know, and he, if he's honest with you, he says, I, I communicate with it. I talk to it. I, I move into oneness with it. I don't pretend that that's something over there and I'm something over here. So he's very clear about the oneness uh, uh, of all of all things. Well, that's such a powerful question. You know, what is it over there that I see that's in me over here? And I think, you know, if people think like that and they look at world conditions and, you know, the whole healed system is about finding your sole purpose. And I say one of the ways you find your sole purpose is when you keep saying to yourself, somebody should do something about that. You know, <laughs> then, then look in the mirror. If nobody's doing it, maybe it's you, right? But maybe that yeah. may. Yeah, you know, not, sorry, go ahead. No, well, the first thought that comes to us is, well, what can I do? Yeah, because see, if that's over there, what's in me, then all of a sudden you have responsibility. Now you have the ability to respond. And, and you may feel compelled to do something and to contribute that's far beyond what you may have thought that could be sole purpose. So that book and that principle, this podcast for that matter, if people take that question into their heart, then you may find if you're looking for your sole purpose, it's already right in front of you. It's already inside you actually, right? It is the means by which you choose to evolve. Our, our purpose here isn't to save the world. 
our purpose here, as I understand it, is to evolve individually. But here's what the magic formula. When I choose to make the focus of my life, the, my personal evolution, the evolution of my soul, there's no way if I am succeeding even a little bit in, a, in, a, in attempting to, to produce that outcome. If I'm succeeding even a little bit, there's no way that I cannot impact the lives of others. It's not my intention. I'm not doing it for that purpose. It's simply the fallout. We talked earlier about the fallout. Well, the fallout of, of moving into one's true soul purpose is that as we rise in our own evolutionary process, we can't help but touch other people in a way that affects and influences their process as well. And it is by that means that every master who has ever walked the earth, whether you're talking about Buddha, Lao Tzu, Jesus, Muhammad, or any master, male or female, through the centuries, they've all done exactly what I'm describing now. They've all done exactly that. Nobody set out to change the world. Buddha didn't get up one day and said, you know what, I think I'll change the world. No, he decided, I'm going to change me. I think, I think I'm going to move whatever I can, the energy inside of me, to produce the highest experience of myself I can. But by doing that, he touched the world entire, not only during his lifetime, but here we are thousands of years later. So never underestimate what one human being can do. Yeah, that's very powerful. Thank you for that. And, uh, you know, uh, we could we could go on for quite a long time, I'm sure. This was a very easy conversation, and I appreciate that. What final thoughts would you like to, to leave with the listeners we have here? Well, uh, Fred, uh, uh, I, I'm often asked what is the most important message of all the messages that I received in the 4,000-plus pages of the conversations with God dialogues. And I can always pick that message uh, quickly and easily, even though there have been many, as a, many, 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 many messages uh, that are of value in that dialogue. But the most important message uh, was, and I never forgot it, uh, was given to me when I asked God, okay, what is it that I don't understand? Clearly there's something that I, that I don't understand about how life works. Tell me what it is. And I remember the moment vividly God actually chuckled, not in a derisive way, but the way we would chuckle at a three- or four-year-old child, you know, who asks a question to which the answer to us seems obvious. So, you know, God just kind of chuckled and said very sweetly to me, <laughs> oh, Neil, sweetheart, the answer is really very simple. You think your life is about you, and your life has nothing to do with you. It's about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. Wow. So the keys, the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredibly powerful. That's heartfelt. Right, that'll put a lump in your throat. There's no greater life than that, I'm, I'm sure. Well, what's, can... what's interesting, Fred, is that when we look at all the people who have made great contributions in the world, all the people who have really made a major difference, every single one of them has been an illustration of that wisdom. Yes. So how can people get a hold of you? I know you, you have retreats. You have uh, what would be a great way to learn about you, get some of your books, learn about your retreats. You have online well, if people, if people want to stay connected uh, to the energy of conversations with God, uh, my team has created a wonderful platform on the Internet that ha that's called, in fact, CWG Connect. 
It's a way to stay connected with the conversations with God's message and the energy and the means by which we can bring that energy into our lives and apply it in our daily experience. So the website would then be cwgconnect.com. Again, cwgconnect.com. I'm there every single day of my life, without exception. I spend sometimes hours a day answering people's questions and responding to people in a one-on-one kind of way that gives them an opportunity to, in fact, stay connected. Nice. Well, what a great opportunity. And I'm sure I will interact with you on there. I just want to thank you for taking the time to do this with me. Uh, I know your message has such a tremendous impact that people feel inside them as truth because it is truth. And uh, just, uh, you know, wishing you all the blessings on this journey, you know, obviously protection and abundance and, and all the things that you're doing. And, um, you know, our, our evolution towards mastery and unity. And I'm just very humbled and, and grateful that you took this time to do this with us. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Fred. Uh, Thank you for the invitation. It's been lovely to share this time with you as well. We'll do it again, I'm sure. Yes. So I'll talk to you in a sec. You're listening to the You Are More Powerful podcast brought to you by youaremorepowerful.com and the book, You Are More Powerful Than You Think by Dr. Fred DiDomenico. Join us again next time for more discoveries right here on the You Are More Powerful podcast.